You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. One of our strategic goals at Think Brick is to develop talent. We do this through our intern program, which has become very popular with graduate engineers. We thought we would give our listeners an insight as to how our own interns describe their experience during their time at ThinkBrick. This is our intern series and we hope you enjoy it. We are also recruiting for our next intern and if this sounds like something you would like to apply for, please find the link in our show notes. Today on this episode, I'm joined by James Liu, who has actually been with us a little bit longer than his original internship was meant for. James, could you just talk to us a little bit about what you're studying and why you came to Think Brick for the last year nearly? Absolutely. So I studied civil engineering at the University of New South Wales. I recently graduated a couple of months ago and just continuing my internship here at Think Brick. I feel that Think Brick has a really good opportunity for me to learn details about masonry design, especially knowing that masonry design isn't covered in university. Did that surprise you that it wasn't covered that much or were you? did you know that when you started engineering? Oh, absolutely. There's a reason why university doesn't cover masonry design. And I think it's one of the more underrated reasons why. University definitely covers a lot of important topics such as concrete, timber, steel structures. Those are sort of your main construction methods. However, I feel like masonry is a very, very underrated construction technique. And that's pretty much the reason why university doesn't cover it. We see masonry structures a lot in Australia, in houses, in car parks, in basements. So I really don't understand why university doesn't cover masonry structures. <laughs> so this is definitely a good segue into including masonry structures into university. And James, what surprised you the most when, when you came and worked here at the association in relation to masonry and engineering? Definitely would be the learning curve. When I first came to the association, I was immediately thrown into the deep end. And this definitely got reflected when I was answering technical inquiries. I remember when I first answered my first technical inquiry, I did not know how to answer that particular question or that particular inquiry. So, you know, I definitely had to up my game a little bit, made sure that I learned the standards properly. I learned the content correctly and made sure I applied that knowledge into answering those technical inquiries as well as doing those other roles that ThinkBrick offers, such as developing fact sheets, such as developing online presentations, and just for, you know, the betterment of future learning for not only students, but also the general public. Yes, we like to say that you're at the coalface, and a lot of people don't realise that we do get around 800 technical inquiries that are phoned in a year. James, you've also contributed hugely to a lot of our online presentations, which came about with regards to covid was that another learning curve for you? Because I always think that when you have to teach something, you tend to learn something yourself. Are you able to describe that process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Developing those online presentations was definitely a challenge, mainly because I had to extract information from the Australian standards and made sure I applied that into easily digestible pieces for the general public to sort of understand, as well as apply that particular knowledge into the problems they were trying to solve. Developing those online presentations definitely took quite a while, mm -hmm. mainly because not only does it have 
uh, theoretical knowledge, but it also has a worked example where I go through calculations and things like that. So making sure that the online presentations has the complete package when it comes to learning for the general public as well as students. And James, there was one particular fact sheet that you have worked on and and it seems an interesting one to discuss. It's a beautiful day outside and it is fireplaces. Now, James, why was there a shine to this particular subject? Sure. (laughs) Um, So my my house actually has a fireplace at home and, you know, I really, really wondered how to design one. Also, fireplaces are a common feature in a house and it keeps us warm during the winter days. And they're the only thing standing after a bushfire normally as well. (laughs) So what did you find out? So in developing this particular fact sheet, um, there wasn't a lot of design guidance in Australia, mainly because Australia has quite a dry, uh, hot climate. So it doesn't sound fitting for uh, Australian houses to have a fireplace, right? Mm -hmm. So when curating this fact sheet, not only did I have to consult with international standards such as the British standards or the European standards, but also had to consult with our members as well for design guidance. What did you find out? Tell me about what are the things I need to know when building a fireplace? So for a fireplace, the hearth, which is the front of the fireplace, has to be wide enough to make sure that the embers don't catch on to the floor or burn the floor, mm-hmm. or otherwise they'll be extremely catastrophic. <laughs> the throat of the fireplace has to be a particular thickness or particular width to ensure that smoking doesn't occur because we don't want a smoky house. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's was that one of the things you were initially curious about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The throat is definitely something that you don't see in a fireplace. So making sure that you design for that throat properly is an extremely crucial sign aspect. And I remember getting a call from someone that had their house sort of burnt, unfortunately, in a bit of a bushfire, and they were worried about the the things that were standing was that wall with the fireplace in it. And they sort of said, look, we're worried about what are the structural capabilities of that brick wall. And I remember having to find that out, and actually it's the mortar that goes first before the actual bricks will. Oh, yeah, Mm. definitely. Uh, I can definitely attest to that. So one interesting fact that I had when curating the fireplace fact sheet was that the back of the fireplace has to be covered with a certain thickness of refractory mortar. So that refractory mortar is actually a mortar that specifically has a higher, I think, lime content. Might have to fact check me on that, Mm -hmm. but a higher lime content, which helps with the combustibility of it. So the more lime uh, a mortar has, the stronger it is or the more resistant it is to fires. Well, I didn't know that aspect just then. And at university, do you cover Australian Standard much or the National Construction Code? Oh, no. This was definitely something that came to me when I started working at ThinkBrick. Before working here, I've actually had no prior knowledge to Australian Standards or the National Construction Code. So I would say that entering the industry, especially entering a leading industry such as ThinkBrick Australia – as well as the Concrete Masonry Association of Australia, that definitely provided a good exposure to these documents. University definitely doesn't provide that exposure unless you go into extensive reading or extensive research. The other interesting thing that you have pointed out, and and it always surprised me, is that we have these standards and yet so much isn't covered in them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and which has sort of led to us producing these fact sheets. And of course, one of the things that isn't described, as you've already alluded to, is fireplaces. So James, you did come here without any prior sort of work experience. What have you found to be the challenges or frustrations or the learnings of coming and applying what you've learned at uni here? 
Sure. So one of the biggest challenges for me here definitely would be working with a bunch of different teams. Going back that aren't all engineers. That aren't all engineers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So in developing uh, a fact sheet, we require graphical changes to be made because us engineers, we aren't very creative when it comes to visually designing a fact sheet, right? So as an engineering intern, I had to consult and work with our graphics team, which involves me trying to technically describe engineering concepts into simple digestible pieces. So trying to learn how to sort of convey that knowledge to someone that doesn't have any prior experience in fireplace design was definitely a big challenge for me, but I've overcome that challenge. So <laughs> it's, al- it's always the key to make very complex things very simple. And I think once you actually know how to explain it simply, you do a much better job for everyone. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How about working with people? Uh, you mentioned um, about different teams, but what about workload and things like that? Oh, workload, workload at the association is definitely very, very manageable. I would say one of the biggest tips is to have good time management skills because there are certain deadlines that you have to meet not only at the association but also working full-time in general that is definitely something that needs to be progressed and something that needs to be met in order for you to you know jump those ranks it also builds good work ethic as well so working here full-time definitely helped me hone those skills what would be your favorite sort of thing that you did while you were here I would say definitely the online presentations, making sure it all looks good. Developing those online presentations also helped me with my graphical skills. (laughs) So making sure that the presentations look all nice, making sure that the technical information was correct, making sure our diagrams were also technically correct. Those were the sort of the skills that I've uh, picked up when working here. We do Mm -hmm. ask everyone that comes on this podcast, James, whether they have another use for a brick other than its intended purpose, which is obviously to build a brick wall. Do you have such a, a use? Oh, yeah. A couple of years ago when I went down to Jindabyne, me and my friends wanted to start a little campfire. Okay. So we, we looked around our Airbnb and we found a little stockpile of bricks. So what we did was we went to the little uh, area next to the lake and we got those bricks, formed it into a little circle, chucked some sticks inside and we started a fire. And from there, we started to cook our little marshmallows on there. Just had a really good time. You know, James, I'm starting to sense a theme. Fire pits, fireplaces. (laughs) Oh, you've got me down on point. (laughs) (laughs) James, thank you so much for joining us and also for your contribution to the associations. You've been an absolute delight to have here as well as really moved the needle for us in what was quite a challenging time as to how we present information that's very complex. But make it very simple. So thank you. Thank you for having me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.